0: Hello and welcome to Accountable Arizona Election 2022. For today's episode, I talked to Diego Rodriguez. I first learned who Diego was during our Doug Ducey recall. He was one of the two elected officials to be brave enough to give us his endorsement. Since stepping foot in AZ for the first time, Diego has been working hard for Arizonans. With Representative DeGrazia, he is founding the Institute for Equity and Justice. Here's our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Some notes before we begin. I do apologize for the audio of the second half of the episode. It gets a little noisy as the coffee shop we were in got a parade of school children. Please also be advised that this episode contains strong language. Without further ado, here is our conversation.
1: Where originally are you from?
2: I actually grew up in Casper, Wyoming. Okay. And then after I graduated high school, went off to college, and then eventually made it to Arizona for law school, where I went to the University of Arizona, College of Law, what was that, 1992? Seems like forever ago. (laughs) And then eventually made my way up to Phoenix in 2008.
1: Awesome. And what part of the valley are you living in? Levine. I still live in Levine. Awesome. What communities in Arizona are extra special to you or do you see yourself a part of?
2: Oh, I think Tucson was a huge influence on me when I was because I was there from '92 to 2008. So
1: okay.
2: It was no 2004. I'm sorry. So, just and for me, moving from where I moved, you know, I grew up in a small town. where I went to law school or when I was undergrad, it was not a very big town. Uh, so Tucson to me was actually what I would call <laughs> like a city, right? yeah. even though it's not really like a major city. So Tucson's always had a big influence on me, just the lifestyle and the attitude. The approach toward things the traffic is still frustrating (laughs) yeah but other than that I mean uh, I really got a kick out of Tucson it just eventually you know you just grow out of that pond it's like you know it's like a fish in a a bowl eventually you'll grow out of that bowl and then that's essentially what happened
1: was there any specific thing specific that brought you up to Levine
2: well Levine so I bought my house in right at the bottom of the market so right when it was getting ready to come up so I was looking all over the valley and literally I would just drive around town see an area that I thought looked interesting Mm -hmm. and then just see if I could find a house in there but then once I looked around Levine and I saw how much I could have just how much house you could get out there and it's still really affordable out there actually Uh, but really what the kicker for me was when I was started driving around and going into the grocery Mm -hmm. stores there and I saw how diverse the community was and I was like okay
1: you've served the community so much through your work as a, a attorney as a uh, house of Rep. What inspires you to keep that work going? What brought it, brought you to it? What's your why?
2: Oh, this goes back to back when I still lived in Tucson and I read the first article in the Arizona Republic where somebody it was, I don't remember who the reporter was, but it was in the, the Daily Star down in Tucson and the, and the article was about the changing changing neighborhoods and I started reading it and it just struck me as being very racist because he was talking about how the neighborhood I grew up in is changing, and he was using very he was using very coded language. But you know, once you learn to recognize it, you can recognize it. So at that point, I was like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with where the, I think this is headed. And then over the years, it just you know progressed more and more. And then eventually, when I moved to Phoenix in 2008, I started being aware of what was going on with the sheriff's department at the time. And then the rhetoric was just getting more and more heated. And I just couldn't, as a Democrat, so, you know, growing up in Wyoming, I, I've never been in a Democratic majority. Right. <laughs> and it wasn't any different when I went, where I yeah. was undergrad, and it wasn't any different when I moved to Tucson. Although in that discrete area, there's a Democratic majority, but statewide, you know, right? Yeah. So we weren't. so. It wasn't anything different but what really started to frustrate me was just the defeatist attitude that the, the state party had and how apathetic and how really uninspired a lot of its policy well if you could call it policies i mean there was probably the decade between 08 to 18 i mean there really wasn't a lot going on with the party our statewide candidates were basically just wealthy democrats who just decided they wanted to do these yeah. kind of vanity campaign things you know, and credit to them for doing it. I mean, but it, it wasn't building the party. Right. I saw, you know, Janet Topolotano arrives and basically just hustles her way into a position with the administration after becoming governor, but she didn't leave anything behind. Right. Right, there was no legacy. There's no... Some people would argue with me on that, but I, could, in my opinion, she had the opportunity to build a bench, to build a legacy, to build an infrastructure, and when she left... Basically, that was one of the main triggering points for the Republican Party, just setting their mind, like, we are going to foreclose every avenue that Democrats have to accessing power. Because yeah. we've had to live with a Democratic governor like her. We don't ever want to do that again. And so they focused on just shutting down all these avenues of power for us and really preserving their own and fortifying their own. So, you know, I'm, I'm living in Phoenix. I'm looking at all this the 1070 march happens you know i take part in the 1070 march and then i really started to think what are you going to do right from here and then eventually i ran for county attorney in 2016 maricopa county attorney but even then and i tell this story to people if i had not run there was not going to be a democratic nominee for county attorney when i ran now think about that it's bad right now fortunately i think what happened is that people saw that Literally, with a campaign that was bubblegum and, and shit and tinfoil, we managed to uh, to put a scare into Bill Montgomery, into the Republican Party. We attracted investment from outside of the state. And then in, in 2020, you saw how many people ran. Yeah. And then now Julie's on the verge. Julie Gungle's on the verge of hopefully winning this. Yeah,
1: I'll be taking that Yeah, Exactly.
2: But it's been a process where you have to say, as an individual, you have to ask yourself, what skills do I have? what resources do I have to give to contribute to help build the movement to get us to where we're going, right, so other, I saw other folks, you know, doing the the non-governmental work, you know, they're doing that, the bastar Payo folks, and Puente, and Mi Familia Volta, and everybody's doing that. So you just have to look at the landscape and see where you fit, and then figure out how to maximize what you have, and hopefully you can make a difference. I
1: have, to argue you, have you have, but <laughs> yeah. we always, it has to be done in the small, I keep mentioning uh, the starfish story, where like there's a bunch of starfish on the ocean, pick one up, toss it back, and like it makes the difference to that one small yes. impacts, right? Yes, we have it to does. Build up. What do you think's been the most important lesson you've learned through your time in politics, organizing?
2: We're not ready. That, that we as Democrats and we as people who still believe in democracy and still believe in equity and justice, that. We're not ready for the fight that it's going to take. Uh, So I thought I knew, I thought I learned a lot. And I did learn a lot in my first campaign for county attorney, right? And then I ran for the state house and got elected in 18 and then re-elected in 20. And then decided to run for attorney general. And then when I made the decision to withdraw from the attorney general race, looking back at everything I had seen, I came to realize that structurally the Democratic Party is not prepared to take to take over and then I started looking why are we not prepared right so I'm a trial attorney yeah and I, I don't want to cuss I hate to lose yeah yeah I fucking hate to lose and I want to know why what can we do differently right and it became clear to me that the other side has spent decades really building up what I call like this iron triangle of oppression yeah. and on one side it's the chamber of commerce and their funders right and on the other side of this triangle you have the center for arizona policy and the goldwater institute who come up with these in the american enterprise Club, right who come up with these wacky extremist social and economic policies and then at the bottom of this triangle you have the extremist republican candidates who these two feed money into. and policy into And then they execute that into the in the state legislature right so this is a very organized and strategic group that we're we're up against yeah and so when i'm looking at it and i'm like structurally there are issues in our party with lack of organization lack of strategic thinking i think there's a heavy dose of systemic racism that exists in the democratic party as well so you know but we're not ready to to do this because if you look at how democratic parties in other states operate they're not so, they seem to attract more resources and more contributions from outside of their state. Interesting. Right, so like, George is a perfect example. Similarly sized states. Right. Right. Their African American population is probably similar to what the Latino population right. is here. But they have a much more activist approach. And they, you know, with Stacey Abrams out there leading the fight, and she's attracting a lot more investment from outside. Right. But we don't seem to get that here in Arizona. Right? So we're dependent on this same outdated, inefficient, inadequate internal party structure to try to not only support campaigns, but to attract investment from the outside and to really start building our bench and training up the people who are going to run the state in the future. Right. Um, Because the folks on the other side have been doing this for years, right? Yeah. They have people that are in the legislature now and that started off as interns mm-hmm. when they were in high school, right? Right, And they either intern at the Goldwater Institute or at the Center for Arizona Policy, and they're indoctrinated, it's you either. know, and they do the, yep. yeah, this whole thing. And then, or they get uh, set up with congressional internships or what have you. And in the meantime, what are we, we don't have that kind of structure, right? right. So my biggest lesson learned, I think, was no matter how well-intentioned you are, even if you're right, Even if you might even be the smartest person in the room, it doesn't matter in politics if you don't have access to the resources.
1: Right. Well, I almost sense fear, it feels like, from the Democrats of, like, taking those next steps that are almost, like, it just always feels, and not all Democrats, obviously, but, like, it just... Afraid of progress or afraid of letting, I think different people lead has become. Oh, I
2: think I think I, I think you've touched it with needle. I think fear is definitely a part of it. It's the fear of the unknown. It's also, and this is what I was talking about with systemic racism. It's also the fear of letting go. Yeah. Right. And the fear of acknowledging that hey, the future of the party looks and acts different than right. what you may have, what you may be used to. But the question comes down to, do you want to build a winning strategy? or do you just want to be the boss? Right. Right, and so uh, I think you have a lot of hesitancy with the establishment in the Democratic Party where they say, uh, we can't say the word abortion, Yeah. right? That's a perfect example, right? Or we can't talk about holding police accountable. Well, right. why not, right? It's just a matter of being having the conviction that's necessary to get up in front of a group of people and say, "This is what I believe in," yeah. and these are my values. And whatever you want to say about the other side, they're very good at doing it, right? and we are not.
1: Right? Yeah. They right. play it. They're very mean.
2: Yeah. So and some I of mean, Democrats will not yeah, be mean. <laughs> it's just... You know, when you look at it, and, it's not, and to me, it's not even a question of being mean. It's right. a question of being proactive and forceful in your statements. Right. There's right. a time and place for all of that. And I think Dem- I think too many Democrats, especially in Arizona, because they've been they've been they've they've had this heel on their neck for so long right. that there's a certain portion of our party, and unfortunately, it's the part that's responsible for a lot of the funding and a lot of the mm-hmm. the policy decisions, where they feel they cannot take bold positions on things, and w- they always tend to cater to this mythical set of. Reasonable Republican yeah. voters who are magically going to decide they right. yeah but what they don't understand is that those Republicans when they do that they're doing it because there's something about <laughs> that's happening that compromise that they feel is against their value system right right and but we're not giving them an alternative so right. when you look at some of these like turning point right they have they promote an event it's DeSantis it's Fincham it's all these people yeah. but if you look at the language they use to talk about it it is like come to this rally it's family it's freedom right it's faith right and if you look at ours and a perfect example is the unity
1: yep
2: event that they just had last weekend the democratic party had last weekend it just said unity and it just listed the candidates right but if you're somebody who's looking for a, a new party or you're looking to which party you're gonna you're right. gonna support Clearly, you understand what the Republicans, even if they're lying because they leave out fascism and sexism right. and bigotry, but you don't you don't see the same clarity
1: right. on our side. Or even the reach-out, right, of being in front of the voters who are undecided. Um, I think we, don't, we won't go into it, but the debate is a great example of just, even the primary debate, we'll talk about that. You can't over, play to lose. Yeah.
2: Right now their debate was a complete shit show. But they were each all out there throwing punches
1: and were remembered, right? Yes. Voters knew, oh, the Italian woman, the businessman, like they yes. knew these names.
2: Yeah. And I and I and I get it. And I understand why the Hobbs campaign is doing that. But if you're going to claim that you're the best leader, then at some point you have to lead,
1: right? Yeah, and show up yes. to shake hands. Yes.
2: Exactly. Exactly um, right. Of
1: the Deep sigh, but (laughs) moving (laughs) on to bigger, or kind of touching on all of this, so we pointed out the issues and the fear within our Democratic Party. What do you think is the best way for an average voter to hold people accountable, or politicians accountable?
2: Uh, First of all, becoming a nuisance to them, Yep. right, calling them, writing them, showing up at their events. Uh, using your social media channels you know you mentioned earlier you know it's the small individual acts that eventually build up one on the other on the other on the other and right. then it becomes it becomes a force and sometimes you'll hit a nerve or you'll and it's random what you'll say right and but you'll get a lot of people that are attracted like yeah i agree with that and then all of a sudden it's just out there uh, i think a lot of politicians now and i think as the politicians start to age down as the boomers get go on to whatever the boomers are going to do and then we Gen Xers kind of figure out, all right, it's time for us to go out to pasture, that uh, folks your age and younger really are more sensitive to what's being said about them on social media. That's very true. Right? And so they're more responsive. So I think you just have to make yourself visible and make yourself known. Because look, the Tea Party didn't start off with... It was just a small group of really, like, intense people who were pissed off about ostensibly tax policy. Yeah. Um, You know, back in the 90s, when I was in Tucson as a prosecutor in 1995... That's the first time I ever met a constitutionalist, which is now basically the, the base of the Republican Party. Right. Started off as one guy just talking all this nonsense in court when right. he kept getting arrested, but he'd come up with all these crazy theories about sovereignty and, and, you know, what the government can and can't do. And literally now, he would probably be like one of the OGs in the Republican Party if he was, he's not around anymore. But right. He was talking about that stuff in 95, and now it's mainstream. So really, as an individual, if you want to hold your elected official accountable, you got to get in front of them, and you have to tell them. What the heck? I, yes, <laughs> yes. You have to tell them. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Demand a response. And then if you don't get one, tell them. This is not the last time you're going to see me.
1: Right. And that's, like, one, I think, of the lessons I've learned through, like, starting the recall. And I think just it was definitely a point of, like, radicalization for me of, like, these people aren't answering
2: us. Yeah, yeah. Like
1: they don't care. They don't. And what is it like they are supposed to be serving me. So what is it if I call them not to encourage name calling, mm-hmm. but if I'm saying what the heck like that's what we're supposed to be doing. Yes. And I think we've now with and it doesn't necessarily have to be Democrats, but we have we're the party of the high road, right? Yes. And that I think then tells voters that you can't get in front and be like what are you doing yeah. like oh if we're always so nice then we can't ask the hard questions no you
2: yeah you absolutely it, it's just like anything else i mean if you're just in your interpersonal relationships what you learn is if you let somebody walk all over you they will more than likely walk all over you it's no different for a politician but it's even heightened because you know i was referring to the structure that you have right the more money that for example kirsten cinema is a perfect example she decided hey I don't want to be dependent on the Arizona donors for my campaign funds anymore. So she went out and she's built this separate billionaire-based, corporate-based donor network, which is why she feels she's free to do whatever she wants. Yep. Right. So the way you hold her accountable now is what they're doing: protest in front of her office, put her on blast on social media,
0: she make sure
2: she things. knows. Don't bother running again because you're going to get you're going to get in a primary and it's going to be ugly. And these are all things we can do, but the influence of money, and when you have these large corporate structures or even you know nonprofit structures on the other side that are insulating these these politicians from from accountability for their actions, it makes it even more incumbent on the individual voters to do what they can um, as much as they can.
1: And I feel like it gives some power to that vote, right? Like we have a lot of people who are disenfranchised from the process of voting just because mm-hmm. they haven't seen those results. But I think taking on that more civic responsibility of, like, follow through, like, this is what they ran on, are they following it through? Yes. Because if no one's holding them accountable... (laughs) Well, you know, before,
2: I I think you had, you never had a situation where Americans actually had to worry about the existence of our democracy. Right. Right? You're like, ah, they made a promise, they said they were going to cut taxes, and they, you know, they didn't really cut taxes, right? Or they said they were going to get more money for our schools, and, you know, they got more money for books, but I don't consider that to be... A promise kept, but now it's to the point where we are literally trying to safeguard our democracy. Like it's gone beyond just what you would say campaign promises that aren't kept. Right. Now this is like
1: they're actively trying yeah they're to actively yeah they're,
2: exactly they're actively trying to seize power and kill our democracy. So that, that I think that's the yeah. biggest distinction between politics, as even recently as what two two years ago, and now it's just blatantly. Bad. If you don't guard it, we're going to take it from you.
1: Yeah. Speaking of voting, mm-hmm. who are, what are, who's someone you're excited to vote for? Any propositions? I
2: love Kathy Hoffman.
1: She's been.
2: You know, the first time I met Kathy Hoffman, we were both at the old, uh, the old headquarters down here mm-hmm. on Central. Yep. And she was collecting signatures for her, she collecting fives and signatures mm-hmm. for her first campaign for yeah. school superintendent and I was running for county attorney at the time and I immediately recognized how genuine she is and just how perfectly suited she was for that position. Uh, I just think the world I just think the world of Kathy. I think she's great. She's exactly the kind of politician that I think people admire because she says what she's going to do and then she does it. Yeah. Right? She doesn't involve herself in these little petty ego games yeah. she stays focused on the work
1: that she's been doing tireless, exactly. tirelessly. exactly
2: exactly she always presents it in terms of what can I do to help you or what can I do to help solve this problem it's not about her ego it's not about getting pictures for the gram right right it's about what am I doing today that's gonna support the institution that I'm in charge of. right and serve the people of Arizona so I think Kathy Hoffman's a great example um, you know, in the statewide races, you know, of course, I'm gonna, I will support the Democratic candidates. Uh, but I, uh, quite frankly, I'd like to see them be a little more outspoken and a little I more, uh, and a little more forthright about what they believe in. I think Adrian gets the closest. Um, all right, but even then, inevitably, and again, this is with the exception of Kathy, because Kathy doesn't. Kathy just says what she says. Yeah. She's not trying to appeal to anybody. She's not going out and saying, "Oh, well, I understand how you'd be concerned about certain books being in your libraries, right?" Right. She doesn't coddle to that. Right. She stays focused on the mission. Um, I think Mark Kelly is very focused in that way. Uh, him being at the federal level, I think it's a little different for him because he's got a lot of other things. But he manages to be attract voters from across the aisle and endorsements from across the aisle without what I consider to be pandering.
1: Right. He's still yeah.
2: He's just he's, doing his job. Yeah. Like, Mark doesn't hide the ball.
1: Right.
2: Right. He's just doing what he's doing. And he's not afraid to get out there and talk about the things that people need to hear about. So.
1: And it's also, for my, always out in the community. Yes. Oh,
2: yeah. Um, I'll tell you, Mark Kelly, so down in Levine, right? So mm-hmm. used to be District 27, and yeah. then now, what is it, District? I think we're 11 now. Um, Mark's been down there as much as anybody great. Yeah, so he's always made it a point to go down there and to appeal to the Latino community and the African American community down there and say, hey I'm here, what can I do? Let's talk about it. Uh, even with his schedule so I I give Mark credit for that.
1: Yeah, that deserves credit and mm-hmm. respect. I agree because I think as we both know a lot aren't out shaking the hand. Look
2: cinema comes down there every six years when she needs to <laughs> run in a project. Yeah. And I'll admit that she was down there last time and you know, I gave her a photo the last time, but if I had to do it again, I wouldn't.
1: Yeah, that's very quickly we lose yeah, uh, the progressives we thought we once
2: had. Oh, she's yeah. the best. Yeah. I don't think I think she's the perfect example of an opportunist. Yeah. I mean, I don't I, I honestly don't think anything she said in the past has been genuine. I think no. it's just been all a narcissistic manipulation of people and ideas to get her to the position that she wanted to get to. Yeah.
1: So she could vote with Trump more than
2: than anyone else. Yes. Yes.
1: So, uh, the last question I have before getting into a little bit more about the nonprofit, Mm -hmm. Um, Arizona has a pretty extensive history of white supremacy, and we see a lot of it bubbling, I think, if not full force ahead. Uh, What do you think, as a private citizen, is the best way to fight that?
2: Well, when it comes to racism and bigotry, and things like you know white supremacist uh, policies, or even you know these discrete events that happen, you have to confront it. I mean, the essence of white supremacy is that it just imposes itself wherever it finds itself, right? Right, and it discourages and intimidates uh, either through either verbally or sometimes even through physical violence people who refuse to take part in it or oppose it. So we really now are at the point in our history where we as a country have to decide are we gonna to tolerate this or not? Are we gonna and, and this is and this goes back to our discussion about the you know the, the difference in how they message and the difference in how we message. The values are what people are gonna look at, right? If you talk about because a lot of people just assume oh, we're Americans, we're going to follow the law. Uh, Apparently that's not the case anymore, right? Right. Because if your real aim is about preserving white supremacy and systemic racism that restricts access to political and economic resources, your values are irrelevant because your goal is to hold on to power. Exactly. Right? So if you're countering that, and if you really do believe in our Constitution and our system of government, then in my opinion it's even more important that we lead with our values and say we're talking about democracy we're talking about freedom we're talking about equality equity fairness inclusion right these are all very positive things right right and so the end indiv- as an individual we just each of us have to decide if we see it are we going to confront it because i i'm sure i'm not the only person growing up when you're in school and you're in history class and you're like what would I have done during World War Two? Right. Right? Well, we're in the Weimar Republic stage.
1: Yeah. Prior to
2: World War Two, this is the buildup, right? And thankfully, we have a lot of people that are standing up and calling this out. We need more people to stand stand up and call it out.
1: Yeah. And people of power.
2: Yes. Power, right? Yeah. And, and you know, when you're unfortunately, you have a lot of politicians that fall in love with the access, right? Um, there's a certain there's a certain aspect of feeding your ego when you get up to elected office yeah. um, but again if your main purpose is to serve your constituents it should be easy to avoid that trap but unfortunately we see far too many politicians who are running just to basically climb what they perceive as the next rung on the social ladder that they're trying to get to right or they want to use it as a hustle yeah to get to get rich
1: yeah find those corporate sponsors oh yeah
2: well i mean look you the senate the senate is basically i think they're all millionaires except for maybe one or two of them yeah. and even then those last two will eventually become them i mean you just right. get access people throw and, things at you and give you things so there's a lot of it and you have um you know what i saw in the state legislatures you have a lot of legislators um most on the republican side who use their ability to draft bills and to influence policy in order to benefit themselves economically. It happens all the time. Yep. Right? So, you know, you go from the legislature and all of a sudden, two years later, you have an in-house job with one, one of the companies that was their lobby that was lobbying you about a certain industry aspect, or you're a lobbyist, right? And you have a contract where you're lobbying for this people. It happens all the time.
1: So hard there's a really interesting study that i don't know enough about but i guess um they're starting to find that power can affect like your brain itself mm-hmm. and like give you brain damage with just the different i'm sure i guess chemicals yeah. as you reach but I thought that was an interesting life
2: well you know if you're nar- if you're if you have any kind of a narcissistic personality People will just throw things at you and attention at you, and it just gets worse. And I'm not saying all politicians are narcissistic, because I've, I've been a politician. Right. I'm not going to deny that. But it definitely can be a very toxic environment. Right. I mean, Trump's the perfect example. I mean, he's like the Uber example of just how toxic it can become if you get the wrong person there. Uh, I think is also a great example of that, yeah. where she just divorces herself from her constituents, from what's important to them, you know, and then wearing the ring that says, you know, fuck yeah. you, and yeah. all this other petty stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's just. It's, Read the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's sickening. It's sickening. Yeah, yeah, it's actually pretty sickening. It's, mm-hmm.
1: it's just to run on the identity politics. Right. Yes. Of, I'm a bisexual woman, and I was poor, and
2: yeah. Well, you know. Now I
1: could care less. And it's
2: on the voters where you know we have to start oh. demanding more, folks. Yeah. And that goes to, you know, one of the things that I'm working on, is a new nonprofit. It's the Institute for Equity and Justice, okay. because I told okay. you. You know about the the section, sort of that triangle that they have, and a really important part of that triangle is the Gold, Goldwater Institute,
1: right?
2: Where they come up with these policies, these conservative libertarian. They're not libertarian. Right. They're actually fascist, in my opinion. Um, and they do impact litigation,
1: yeah.
2: right, to target programs and things that they think are inconsistent with their political philosophy, right? Uh, but they use that to drive po- public policy in Arizona, and they also use it to drive the Debate within the Republican Party. Right. We don't have something similar to that on our side. So, myself and Representative Domingo de Gracia have started the Institute for Equity and Justice because we've seen things in our time in the legislature. Uh, we've identified areas that really need to get work on. And we also believe that uh, the Democratic Party badly needs a counterpart to the Goldwater Institute. So we can start meeting them on this ground and start confronting them on these things. So it's not just one side showing up filing these briefs in court in support of these extremist challenges or, or policies. When we have voices on our side and policies and people who are really progressive and looking to do the right thing, but they don't have an outlet because we don't have an infrastructure to get our messaging out there and our arguments out there, which is what we intend to use the the institute to do. And then, so we're looking to help drive strategic, long-term strategic policy planning and implementation, along with impact litigation, to counteract what's been going on in the state. And where
1: can uh, listeners find out more?
2: Well, for right now, we're putting the final touches on getting it launched. We hope to launch by uh, by October.
1: Okay. No.
2: But if anybody wants to get a hold of me, they can just you know look me up and email me. I'm easy to find. I'm on yeah. Twitter. Yeah, and I'll share all the <laughs> yeah. info. On, yeah.
1: Uh, I'm not sure. I'm planning to start episode uh, posting the episode in September, so it might be yeah. that we. Yeah. No, that's meet yeah, those, that's fine. That's uh, We'll be in touch, obviously. But any last um, messages to? holding
2: Arizona accountable, voting. You know, let's relate it back to when you guys started.
1: Yeah.
2: Right? I think a lot of people didn't want to sign that because it was so, it was a different approach than what had been done in Arizona before. And I also think a lot of people didn't want to sign it because they thought, oh, well, what will people think if I sign this? And from a political point of view, I supported you guys because I wanted to support people doing something that was driven, that wasn't driven right. from us elected or even from the party, it was from the grassroots, Yeah. right? So in retrospect, I think that one of the most important lessons that we learned from how your campaign, the Accountable Arizona's campaign was if we had, if more people had just decided to just say, you know what, it's the right thing and I don't give a fuck whether anybody else believes it is and we had just started especially and i'm talking now i'm talking about more of my colleagues in the state house and senate had come forward and signed that who knows how things would have turned out right so we can't quit we just have to
0: i hope you enjoyed our conversation i think diego brought up so many great points about how the democratic party can improve their leadership and strategy by leading by values. I'm very excited to see what him and Representative DeGrazia do with the Institute for Equity and Justice. You can find his contact information on our website, accountablearizona.org under the Election 2022 section. Stay accountable, Arizona. Thank you.